0: You most likely remember Paul McCartney singing the lead on the Beatles' classic 1970 song, Let It Be. Devastated by the death of his mom Mary to breast cancer when he was only 14 years old, McCartney was paying homage to the memory of his mom's best advice when he sang, When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Wisdom. It's much needed and sadly in short supply. We live in a world where social media and technology undermine our wisdom and we are fattening up on foolishness. I'm grateful for Brett McCracken and his new book, which provides an antidote to our current wisdom famine. Stick with us as we chat with Brett about his book, The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World, on this episode of Youth Culture Matters.
1: From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults.
0: Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Mueller here at the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, and today we've got um, a great guest. We'll get to that guest in just a minute, but we're going to talk about something that is actually a huge cultural reality, and it's one that we need to reckon with, and and as we talk to our guest today, we're actually going to to learn about how to even put an antidote on that, and, and we'll unpack that in just a couple of minutes, but I want to... Welcome, Chris Wagner, as always to the podcast. Chris is back there with the controls, and then welcome, Chris. Glad to be I, here. I, I need to give you a chance to say something into that mic of yours, and then um, we've got somebody on that we've never had on before, Brandon Fisher. Brandon, uh, tell folks about yourself.
2: Wow, that's a yeah, that's well, a very really I mean, open ended question. Like what do you My exposure, do yeah. Uh, yeah, long yeah. Well, time well, listener to the CPYU oh, podcast, right, first are. time guest. So yeah, happy yeah. to be here. Uh, my exposure, I would have met Walt back in 2006, 2007, uh, serving as a youth pastor in the area, uh, served for his eight years as youth pastor at Keystone Church, and uh, my relationship with Walt grew to the point where he would invite me to the CPYU banquets, and so I've been uh, an attendee from one of those. Eventually joined the board of CPYU and served as a member of that for One of our season. great
0: board members, yeah. Uh,
2: before I was let go.
0: That's right, and I'm glad you admitted that. You want to tell everybody why you had to be excused.
2: Uh, I was let go because I married your daughter. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you could no
0: longer serve right. conflict of interest. So we're glad to have you here, Brandon. And and I know uh, this is this is gonna be fun to have you ask questions today. Let me let me ask you two guys uh, quickly a question just about fast food. Are you eating fast food these days? And if so, what's your favorite?
2: I'll jump in first because my answer to that would have been different before I married. Bethany uh, I love I love a McDonald's uh, sausage egg and cheese McMuffin a McDouble Big Mac so uh, yes
0: I do uh, no I don't not anymore. so much yeah. anymore right okay I know about that Chris what about you
2: oh yeah I I love myself some fast food and one of my go-to's
0: is taco Bell I
3: I know people love it or hate it I love it
0: I've seen the line down there recently, and it's long, and I have not eaten there in years. And so that's the answer to my question, because I am married to Bethany's mother. <laughs> and Bethany learned a lot about food from her mom, so we have we have limits. I have not eaten fast food for a while, but we will stop at Chick-fil-A. I think it's, it's uh, obligatory for people to say that. So, yeah, well, food, uh, the food pyramid, that's really... In many ways at the root of what we're going to talk about today Not so much food and a food pyramid, but a wisdom pyramid And I love this metaphor and I love the book that Brett McCracken, who's joining us, has written It's The title of the book is The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World It's published by Crossway We're going to talk about the book and I'm going to say right at the outset that uh, This is a book that I believe youth workers need to read. Youth workers need to teach this to their students. I truly believe high school students, they're they're at a level where they're going to be able to uh, read this book, talk about this book, digest the book, apply the book. And uh, youth workers, you can teach it to kids who are younger. And, in fact, parents, I would say the same thing to you. And and just because I said that about high school students, I I don't want you to think that – you know, you wait till the high school years to talk about these things. Brandon, you have a brand new daughter, right? Four months old, Four our, months our sixth old. grandchild. And I say, you know, it's like catechism. Uh, Gary Parrott J.I. Packer used to talk about this, womb to tomb, uh, womb to tomb. And I think these are principles that need to be taught. So, Brett McCracken, thanks for joining us, and thanks for writing this book.
3: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Can you, can you just tell, for folks who maybe you are not familiar with you, can you just talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing now besides writing? Uh, maybe some of the other writing projects yeah. you have been a part of, and then some of your background.
3: Sure, yeah. Um, I, so my full-time job is um, I'm an editor for the Gospel Coalition, so for, I work for um, the website, just producing content, <clears throat> articles, um, video content, podcast content, Um, which is so fun. It's kind of a dream job for me. I get to write about culture and uh, movies. That's kind of my niche area as a writer, Um, just exploring the intersection of Christianity and culture and all the dynamics and complexities uh, therein. So that's kind of my job, but I've written four books as kind of side things um, over the years. The Wisdom Pyramid is my fourth um, book. And um, I would say each of my books is exploring that broad area of Christianity and culture and various dynamics of our relationship with the culture. Um, beyond that, I'm an I'm a elder in a local church here in Southern California. My my wife and I live here with our two boys, um, ages three and one uh, in Santa Ana, California. And I'm an elder at a church called Southlands Church in Santa Ana. It's like a newer church plant we just launched in in January of this year. Great. So between church and being a dad and work and writing, uh, life is very full, but it's good.
0: <laughs> well, good. I, and, and again, I'm so glad you've written this book. And, and I want to ask you—the uh, first question I want to ask right out of the gate, and, and these guys will chime in as they see fit, but, um, you know, you say in the book that we find ourselves living in an unwise age— I'd love for you to talk about you know what this unwise age is, why uh, we've become so unwise, and my third question is a part of that. And I can come back and ask these again because I know you know maybe I'm asking too much, but I was intrigued by this. I you know when we talk about cultural realities here at CPYU, we just find that most people. Don't don't know that they're living in these things. You know, we're in the water, but we're not aware of it. So, so you know, why, um, you know, what is it? Why are we living in it? And and do we know it?
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think most of us don't have to look far these days to be aware of how unwise our day and age is. Right? You pretty much open Facebook and spend. 30 seconds there and you're like, okay, yeah, we we live in an unwise age. (laughs) Like, look at the things people are saying, look at the things people are sharing, look at the, the level of just discourse and the seemingly, um, unthinking kind of illogical conversations that are playing out all the time around us. So I think most of us would say, yeah, like we, we live in a rather unwise, foolish age. And the the paradox is is that we live in the information age, so we have more information at our fingertips than any generation of humans have ever had before. We have a smartphone with Google at our fingertips, literally any question we might have, we can find an answer. We have access to every book ever written with, with a few Google searches, every idea ever thought by any human. So we have like, almost infinite kind of knowledge at our fingertips, but it hasn't made us more wise. So that was really the the central paradox I wanted to explore in this book. Like, what is it about the information age and this bombardment, this glut of information that actually works against our wisdom and actually makes it hard to be wise? We have a lot of knowledge, we have a lot of information, but that's not the same as being wise. And so... The point of the book is just to help us think through as Christians, how can we be wise in in the information age?
0: Yeah. You know, the 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 other side, you know, so if we say let's develop wisdom, you know, part of the critique is we're actually we're actually calling out and and raising our awareness about foolishness, which is, you know, on the negative side. Mm -hmm. and and I'm wondering you know from your perspective as you've thought about this and studied this and certainly as you've read through the scriptures and you look at our culture in light of that do we know that we're actually embracing foolishness and and propagating foolishness not only in the world around us but even in our own lives I mean have you what's the what's the level Mm -hmm. of self-awareness of this
3: yeah, I don't know that it it always is a super apparent thing, right? When you're becoming more foolish, it isn't it doesn't just present itself as, you know, you are foolish. It's more subtle and it's kind of a an insidious thing. Something that has been helpful for me as I've read proverbs particularly is the imagery that shows up throughout proverbs of like being on the path <clears throat> of wisdom kind of staying on the path and not being distracted by the the voices calling out to you, the the lady folly off, off to the side who's like, I know you're on this path, I know you're kind of pursuing this wise, righteous way of life, but I have something, you know, enticing over here. Why don't you just like take a few minutes and wander over to my doorstep and sit with me here? And if that's the definition of foolishness, is kind of like wandering off the path and being essentially being distracted by these voices calling out to you from the margins. Then we live in a world today where that's literally playing out all day, every day on social media, on the internet. I've I've been comparing the algorithm of today to lady folly in the Bible. The algorithm is the lady folly of our day. Everything we encounter on social media is essentially come over here, come come, hang out with me. I have something you wanna click on. I have something you wanna watch. I have something you wanna to listen to. I know you may be going on this path. I know you might have a direction you're going, but you have some, you have some time to spare. Why don't you wander over here off of the path? So I think that's where we see foolishness rising in the digital age is we have never been more distractible. We've never been so kind of meandering and unable to direct our gaze and our attention and our focus in one direction because there's voices all around us enticing us you know off the path of wisdom and uh, it's hard to resist the the algorithm right the algorithm is more and more sophisticated and it's really good at playing into exactly the sort of thing that we we want Uh, whether it's a certain type of video a certain type of article um, they, they know what, how to get you and so it's easier than ever to, to be distracted and thus it's harder than ever to be wise and focused and um, intentional.
2: Yeah, it's the, it seems like the, the volume of voices as well as the velocity of the voices coming at you that uh, there just yeah. seems to be maybe more opportunities for foolishness to uh, entice us than ever before.
3: Yeah, and you just pinpointed um, two of the three big um, sources of our sickness that I talk about in the first half of the Wisdom Pyramid. Um, The first one I talk about is too much. The volume of information works against our wisdom. And the second one I talk about is the speed. Like you said, the velocity. Um, We live in a too much information world and a too fast information world. Both of those dynamics make it hard to be wise because when there's too much information all around us, it's hard to discern, you know, what is true, what is false. Our our brains are overwhelmed to the point of numbness. We've, we're literally losing the ability to kind of sift and and critically evaluate just because of the glut. Uh, and then the speed of information is it makes it so hard to be wise because everything incentivizes speed, whether in you know sharing your opinion on social media as quick as you can without giving much thought to it, or you know, retweeting or sharing on Facebook an article that you just read um, without necessarily taking time to think about, is this the best thing to to share? like is this is the source of this article valid? you know, or could it be misleading? When you're going too fast, you don't think about those questions. You're not careful, and you don't you don't take the kind of time to um, reflect critically, which is what we need for wisdom.
0: What's uh, you mentioned two of the the symptoms, right? And and I love that in the introduction, so helpful, great for self examination. What w- what was the third?
3: Yeah, <clears throat> the third one is that the world of information today is too focused on individuals. So it's not only that there's too much information; it's, it's not only that it's too fast, but it's too focused on me. Um, and this plays into like a bigger philosophical challenge that we're up against in today's western culture which is a very like narcissistic kind of look within yourself um, orientation of wisdom the idea in our culture today is essentially um, follow your heart you know live your your truth like look within yourself to be the compass of of truth and now the the very structure of information um, basically just adds another layer to that so now you can build your reality online around you and your preferences and your um, preferred narrative, whatever whatever you want to believe about any issue, political issue or any, any like the pandemic, whatever you wanna believe about COVID-19, you can build your information environment around that preference. And you can mute any voice that disagrees with you and you can kind of opt out and eventually the algorithms figure that out and they start feeding you more of the same more of what you already like and just like that's a bad habit with physical eating like we would all die if we only ever ate our favorite foods and we never ate anything else outside of that um that's not good for us physically and it's not good for us uh, spiritually either to have this very like self-focused, I'm only gonna consume information that pleases me and suits my my tastes. Um, that's a recipe for disaster. And I think you're seeing it play out already in our society. Our society is like falling apart at the seams because no two of us are coming to these debates with the same assumptions, with the same facts even. And that's because our we're living in totally different realities
2: you talk about an epistemological crisis uh which i would guess is the surrounding the nature of or erosion of truth but i I Mm -hmm. feel like you also mentioned the erosion of authority Uh, how how are how does is the information glut uh contributing to the erosion of those two things yes
3: yeah i mean the the epistemological crisis is very connected to that crisis of authority essentially epistemology is a big word for like how do you trust anything how do you know what is true and we've we were already in kind of a anti-authority authority world you know going back to i mean you can take it back to centuries but especially since the 60s so for the last like half century in in western culture we've really been skeptical about authorities of every kind churches government you know family parents um, and what happens when authority is degraded over time is no one kind of knows what to trust or who to trust. The the old um, kind of established voices of trustworthy truth are no longer trusted. So who do we trust? And that's why simultaneously it becomes more tempting to just default to yourself when you can't trust anyone else, can't trust the government, can't trust... The church leaders can't trust anything. Well, I guess I'll just look within myself. That becomes the most valid option. So it's kind of this perfect storm, right? There were already threads of anti-establishment, anti-authority going on. There were already threads of kind of look within yourself. That's where you find truth. And so the combination of that has led to this crisis of truth where, okay, if we can't trust the experts, if we can't trust the leaders. And really, it's just about looking within ourselves. Well, that sounds good. But what happens when I look within myself and come to one answer, and you look within yourself and come to the opposite answer? Can they both be true? Like, I don't think so, right? Because we live in this real world together, and we have to like, coexist. Um, So for example, if, if, if my truth, if I looked within myself and discovered that my truth is that red lights actually mean go in with driving but another person looks within themselves and finds that red lights mean stop and that's their truth well we can't coexist together with those two truths they they contradict each other and literally there will be mass chaos in the streets car accidents every day if people kind of had different truths on that issue so functionally it just doesn't work right that 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 philosophy of truth is within the individual self. It just doesn't work. So um, we need truth to be outside of ourselves. We need it to be transcendent. And and yet we've kind of lost that uh, orientation in our culture.
0: Yeah, what you just described, Brett, I mean, that's working itself out, not only in our churches, you know, with mm-hmm. the arguments over, over COVID. And, you know, when you go back to talking about algorithms and, feeding more of of what we went and searched for and, and just, you know, it, causing us to— it, it's pounding the stake in further on what our truth is. But mm-hmm. uh, the arguments in churches, I think about um, the discord in homes between the generations yeah. over this. And, you know, as we talk, as you're, as you're describing this, I'm thinking about, you know, the red light and the green light. I'm going, oh, yeah, you know, parents, they can resonate with this because they're having conversations— about sexuality and gender with their kids, not just at the level of ideas, but even as you say, functionally within Mm -hmm. homes as kids at younger and younger ages are making Mm -hmm. these decisions rooted in this. And I I just need to say this before we take a break that what I love about the approach you're taking here and how you're describing this to us is, you know, we're talking about symptoms, things that we see, and, and many of us obviously lament Um, in the culture at large, and should be lamenting in ourselves. But for you to dig deeper, as we all need to, down to the philosophical roots of this, because there are, these symptoms are downstream from ideas, and we typically don't know what these ideas are. And, you know, I was thinking this morning, as I was getting ready to chat with you, just about, you know, how, uh, well, Charles Taylor, you know, in a secular age, and a lot of what he's (laughs) written about in terms of expressive individualism and i'm i'm working through some more of his thoughts on what he calls exclusive humanism which is really all about you know mm-hmm. all that is tra- y- 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 we have no room for god right so that the transcendent is gone and now it's it leaves basically us and ultimately then me mm-hmm. and this is this is so much of what's happening and so yeah. uh when we come back from the break what i want to do is talk just a little bit about how you moved from your understanding of the food pyramid to <laughs> the wisdom pyramid, which by the way, is a very wise move on your part. Um, and it is so helpful to all of us. And I think what you've given us is, is a, a scheme or a way of thinking about how we can start to very practically undo the very things in our lives that are undoing us, corporately yeah. and individually. Uh, so, so when we come back, we're going to talk about that. And that's the, uh, no pun intended, the meat and potatoes of the book um, mm-hmm. is really what it is. So, And it, really, I mean that, no pun intended, I just can't, like mm-hmm. meat and potatoes. That's my age. So we're going to come back and talk about that. We're talking to Brett McCracken about his new book, uh, The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. Stick with us.
1: If you enjoy listening to Youth Culture Matters and would like to support the ongoing efforts of this ministry, you can do so by visiting cpyu.org slash giving to make a donation. Your prayers and financial support make this podcast possible.
0: Well, I want to move from uh, more of a uh, you know a general conversation here about the book to something more specific as it relates to the title. And uh, go ahead, Brandon. You've got a question well, for Brett on that.
2: Brett, I think that the pyramid itself is so brilliant. Uh, it's something I grew up with in elementary school, learning about the food pyramid. And yeah. my family was in the restaurant business. We dealt a lot with food. Uh, Mm. so the language and allegory between the two make a ton of sense to me, but I would love to have you, uh, Mm -hmm. help our listeners understand how does the food pyramid relate to the wisdom pyramid that you have in your book?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the origin of this concept for me was actually a talk that I was asked to give a few years ago on kind of our, our post-truth era in this epistemological crisis. So I was asked to speak about like, how do we as Christians live well in a post-truth world? And the more I thought about what I wanted to share, the more I kept coming back to this idea of like, we need help discerning our inputs. Like we need, we need to figure out like in this world of we don't know what to trust. We don't know what's true. It really does come down to how do you order your diet so to speak of information around the things that are actually solid and nourishing and helpful and and so how can I walk people through that concept and so it just dawned on me like what if I took the food pyramid concept and just riffed on that and adapted that to to information and knowledge and wisdom so that's what I did and um, I had I, I like mapped it out on my like a napkin or something and sent it to a graphic designer friend like make it look pretty for this conference uh, presentation and he did so that was the beginning of, of the okay. wisdom pyramid before it was ever a book it was just like a visual aid can, for can, a can conference I,
0: can, sorry I yeah. want to ask you about you, you're you talking about getting the idea putting on a napkin I want to know what time of day did the idea come because uh, you, you may give me hope here most I of mean, my things come
3: at night I'm and not it, like a night owl so okay. I'm sure it was like middle of the day Um yeah I envy I don't, you. I don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, the basically the gist of it is this, like the food pyramid, if you guys that were listening, remember it was essentially guidance for physical health. Like in order to be physically healthy, order your physical diet of food around these more nourishing categories of food, food groups at the bottom, eat more of, you know, vegetables and bread and fruit, than you do of the categories at the top of the food pyramid, which are things like, you know, cheese and fat, you know, the top of the food pyramid is dessert, essentially fats, oils, and sweets. Um, And so I thought, what if I took that and applied that to our diet of kind of what's feeding our souls? Because I think the same thing is true of our spiritual health as it is for our physical health. It's, it is largely dependent on our intakes. What, what comes into our body for good or for ill makes us physically healthy. And what comes into our, our hearts and our minds and our souls, you know, for good or for ill, it makes us either spiritually healthy and wise or spiritually unhealthy and foolish. And I think, I think a lot of the problems today, a lot of why we're unwise and kind of spiritually anemic is because we have an imbalanced diet. We're the voices feeding us are toxic and it's kind of like junk food and we need to be feeding at more nourishing uh, sources. So that's essentially the concept and we can get into the different categories later if you want, but um, spoiler alert, the Bible is at the foundation of the <laughs> wisdom pyramid. <laughs> that's the most important food group for, for us to be wise. And um, and the one, the one that I put at the top in the fats, oils and sweets category is this the internet and smartphone. Like, um, so that right there shows you what I'm doing with this book. I'm essentially challenging us to flip because most of us currently, I would argue, are probably, we flipped that. So the, the internet and, and our phones are feeding us mostly. That's kind of the staple of our diet. It's where we look from the moment we wake up in the morning to but right before we go to bed, we check our phone one more time. And all day, every day, it's just where we go. It's kind of like this junk food buffet that we just keep going back for more and filling our plate with more, more, more. And it's making us very sick. So I'm arguing, let's put that up in the top, in the, like in its proper place, dessert, right? It's okay to eat chocolate cake every now and then, but you don't want to make it the staple of your diet. And the same is true of media, internet, content. Like... It's, we, we we can't live without it in these days, so we have to include it in our pyramid. It has to be there, but it has to be in the right place. It can't be the staple of our diet.
0: Brandon said to me this morning, we, we were talking about food, and, and he said, you know, we, we think about the food pyramid, there's really, what, two times? One is when we look in the mirror, and the other is when we go to the doctor. Yes, and there's right. usually trouble. And, yeah. you know, so I, you know, and, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever known anybody who philosophically says my goal in life is to eat poorly, you know, and right. just undo myself, you know, kill myself that way. Yeah. Um, but functionally, you know, our, our, you know, our, our behaviors don't line up with our stated beliefs. And I think mm-hmm. with the wisdom pyramid, just as you talked about the top and the bottom there, what's at the foundation and, and then what's at that little, you know, smaller area that's the point at the top of the pyramid you know, I know Christian folks, it's a it's the same thing. I don't know many who would functionally, you know, or who who would philosophically say mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know, my calling is to be on my smartphone constantly right. and to be posting on social media constantly. Right. But, you know, functionally, that's really where we where we land. And I, you know, I think about what Brandon said about you know, the mirror and then also the doctor, the two places would be when, you know, one, let's stop and just self-evaluate where we spend our time and, and break your day down into blocks of time and, and look at it. And I know even on our phones, our phones can tell us how much time we've been on there and it's, it's usually pretty eye-opening. But the other thing yeah. that would liken, you know, would be sort of similar to the, to the doctor would be, you know, when we encounter troubles in life, when we encounter difficult difficulties in life, Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not much to draw from in the well of functionally we've been up there at the top of the pyramid and not down at the bottom. So yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about from the base up, you know, just mm-hmm. give us some mm-hmm. thoughts on that. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think that'd be real helpful. And I know you unpack it in the book, but just give us the, you know, a quick,
3: yeah. quick overview. The, the really quick overview. I can, yeah. I can go really long, as you would imagine going, going into depth on each of these. Um, but that's what the book does. So um, yeah, essentially the, the kind of criteria in my mind as I as I ordered the, the wisdom pyramid was basically the concept that wisdom is from God. Like essentially that is wisdom, right? It's, it's God given, it's God created. Um, so a life of wisdom therefore is a life that is oriented around the things of God. And so from the bottom up, it, it goes from the most proximate to God, the closest that we have to the wisdom of God, in scripture that's literally his direct speech to us so that's the closest we have and then the next levels up are slightly less proximate to god but still close to him and then at the top social media you know is it's basically robots are dictating that information so it's not it's very far from god most of the time um so yeah from the bottom up it's the bible at the bottom god's direct word to us the second level is the church so my thinking here is proximity to God, right? The, the church is God's people. It's his presence among his people. It's his chosen kind of institution for his mission to be carried out in the world. Um, so we become wise as we commit to a church, as we grow as, in a church. Uh, and a church can be a, a really helpful way to interpret scripture and to kind of unpack that most foundational level of wisdom in, in the Bible. and and learn how to apply it to our lives. The third level is nature, which is sometimes surprising to people. And I get a lot of questions about, why did you put that as the third most important category of wisdom? And it's the same idea, like it's proximity to God. Nature is God's creation. He made this, this is his handiwork. There's no human mediation here. Like this is God's literal handiwork. So when you look at nature, when you really study it, examine it, spend enough time outside without your phone distracting you to actually like look at the trees and the sky and the, the flowers and the animals. Like, there's things we can like learn about God. Um, even scripture says this, right? The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19, um, Romans 1. Paul talks about how even pagans who never hear the special revelation of the gospel, they've never heard the name of Jesus, they have no excuse to acknowledge God because of the world that he made, because of what they see and touch with their, their senses. So nature has a lot to give us in terms of learning about God and also leading us to worship God. It's one of the themes that I come back to throughout the book is this idea that wisdom is not just what comes into your mind. it's It comes through all of our senses, and it's ultimately as much about your heart and the posture of what you love. As much as it is what you know and i think things like nature can really stir our hearts to praise the creator for what he has made and and that's a good thing for our wisdom to to, to praise god so then um after nature i have a category for books um and this is like kind of common sense i think for people like become wise by reading books but uh, one thing i really focus on in that chapter is not necessarily the content in books, but the, the very format of reading a book is helpful for our wisdom because it slows us down. It focuses our attention in a world of scattered attention where we tend to go like a mile wide, an inch deep. A book is really an exercise in going slow and deep in one topic and, and giving our attention um, to someone else's perspective for a long period of time, rather than just reading a tweet. About a subject matter, to read a book is to train yourself to listen well, to think critically, and I think that that's an, a lost art in today's world that we need to um, recover. And then, so it's the second to the top category is um, beauty, and this is um, kind of the arts, culture, movies, music, you know, poetry, photography, things like that. Um, and the reason why beauty is important for wisdom is that it speaks to that that fact that wisdom isn't just cerebral. It's not just facts in your brain, it's things that you encounter primarily through your senses, through what you hear, what you watch, what you taste, what you touch. Um, it's about your heart and the love component um, and beauty really stirs our affections. And uh, I think beauty can be a really valuable part of the wise life the wise Christian life because I know for myself some sometimes my most worshipful experiences with God are are when I'm around beautiful things whether it's in a beautiful cathedral or listening to a beautiful hymn in church and hearing the voices around me sing these beautiful melodies I mean there's a reason why like church has always included singing churches have always in- included beauty in their, Rituals of worship, because they recognize that this is to, to love God has to go beyond just knowledge. It has to come to the level of the heart and stirring people's hearts to uh, to love God, and that's what beauty does. So that's why it's helpful for our wisdom. And then we've already talked about it, but the internet and social media is the the top kind of pinnacle uh, of the wisdom pyramid. So use it sparingly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, and and this is so—I mean, there could be a podcast we could do on each one of these, you know, a series of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> and this is this yes. is the beauty of this. And, uh, you know, I, I want to mention this. It, it, the book is so accessible. It's not overwhelming. It's not, you know, super long when you pick it up. It's not like reading Charles Taylor's <laughs> Secular Age, you know, mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. have to get like a, you know, a, a moving cart to move it from yeah. room to room. But, you know, yeah. so it's 167 pages. Wonderful to go through now. Here's what I love, just what you just described there, just the way you have woven um, good theology, good biblical theology, along with a great theology of faith and culture, especially when you talk about, uh, you know, beauty and and books, Mm -hmm. which are so important. I have a thousand questions there. but you know, l- let me ask you this because I'm I'm looking at the cover and I I I'm thinking you know if you're going to judge a book by its cover this is a good cover I love this cover it's it's great it is, you yeah. can actually teach from the cover, yes. But uh, so judge this book well by the cover. But you know that second level of the church one of the trends we're seeing now is just um, vacating the church walking away from yeah. the church being hurt by the church I'm never going back because the church has hurt me um, yep. you know that kind of language or. You know, I'm thinking of those who would say, "Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bypass the church and I'm gonna go up to that next level of nature. I can just worship God out in the woods. Yeah. You know, God's everywhere, right. and almost verging on pantheism." But, yep. You know, how would you talk to uh, believers who, you know, self proclaimed believers, followers of Christ, would say, "I just don't have room for the church. I mean, the church mm-hmm. is just a mess. It's just a bunch yeah. of messy people."
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, that's a very real dynamic and challenge in today's world. And um, my my last book before the Wisdom Pyramid was all about the church. It was called Uncomfortable. And it was the subtitle, of the, the Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community. And essentially I'm acknowledging, I'm like, yes, like the church is challenging. It is gonna create friction for you. And there are, uh, there's, a thousand reasons why you would want to quit going to church and we i think we can acknowledge that and be honest about that and not pretend like church is this very normal kind of cultural thing that is easy and you know comfortable i think when we when we do frame church that way it doesn't end well right because it's misleading it's basically selling something under false pretenses that's kind of where the seeker sensitive movement, I think led some people astray. It framed church as this consumer friendly experience that is only gonna kind of make your life easier and (laughs) give you what you want. And that's just not what church is about. And so we just have to be honest with people. So that's step one is saying like, yeah, like Jesus like founded this institution. And from the very beginning, like it was not this easy thing. It was. It was more about pick up your cross and follow me than it was come to be served with a a nice ear candy sermon and fun music and <laughs> good coffee. Like that was never the idea for what church was. It, it was always this costly community of people being grown into Christ likeness and um, and yet to be grown in anything in life is going to be uncomfortable, right? <laughs> if you want to like become more physically fit, you don't do that by being comfortable on your couch. Like you do that by being willing to to get, you know, out there and exercise and eat well and those are not comfortable things, right? So that that was kind of the premise of my last book is like, look, we need to embrace the discomfort of church and that's countercultural because we live in a consumer culture that basically tells us like never choose to do anything that makes you uncomfortable like in a world of all these options like why not why not just always go with the thing that you know fits you and your tastes and preferences and never challenges you and yet we never grow in life if that's our mentality like we will only grow if if we're serious about wanting to grow spiritually, then we then we will go to church because you're you're just not going to grow spiritually on your own. Like you're just not. Like you need community. You need people to challenge you to point out your blind spots, and you to them. Right. That's the beauty of community. That's why exercising in community is t- tends to be more effective than exercising on your own. Right. And the same is true of church. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot I could say about what I would tell the young person today who's considering like not going to church, but, and I get into that a lot in the chapter on church and the wisdom pyramid, but I I would just say like, if you wanna grow as a Christian, if you care about becoming more like Jesus, the church is the, your best shot to do that. Committing to a church, even when it's uncomfortable, even when there's friction, um, it's worth it.
2: Well, one of the things I love, uh, that I've heard you talk about before is considering culture as a kind of soup. And there are a lot of ingredients tossed into a soup and we swim and marinate and feed on whatever is in the soup. Yeah. And for kids, I think parents do a lot to spoon feed. They are the ones making the soup, putting everything in. But as our youth grow up, they're gaining the, uh, autonomy in some sense to, Make their own batch of soup, and so they're making decisions for for parents to spoon feed. We we want our kids to learn how to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. How how can someone who doesn't like to eat broccoli be taught that eating broccoli is good for you?
0: Careful yeah. what you say here, Brett. My wife's listening. <laughs> I may I may have to pay for this. Or maybe another way right, to phrase I, it would yeah. be like, yeah. how
2: can we wet our appetites for? Yeah. Uh, wisdom when we would prefer folly we, we want yeah, the yeah. sweets
3: yeah i mean i think at everything in life that initially seems like impossible because it just isn't we don't have a taste for it we don't have we're not habituated to it it all starts with like small steps and small habits like you we are habitual creatures that's we are created that way and you you learn to do things in life whether whether learning to walk my my one-year-olds just learned to walk this summer and it started with you know watching other people watching big brother so that's a big part of this imitation so I would say a huge thing for parents to do listening is just model this in your own life as, as best you can make sure your own life is following kind of this wisdom pyramid um, orientation where the bible the church things like that are the most important Um, because i think that's more effective than just telling you can tell your kids all day like eat your broccoli but unless you yourself are eating broccoli and loving it and your kids see that it's going to be a tough sell so modeling it is important But not only did my one-year-old learn how to walk by looking and modeling his big brother, but he had to start taking baby steps, right? He had to start small. And and over time, he became better and better and better and better. And now he's running around. The same is true of anything in life, including our spiritual lives. Like, if, If at first reading the Bible, for example, is very unnatural, it doesn't feel like something you like to do, it's hard to do. And it's maybe you're prone to want to give up very quickly. I think a lot of us fall into that with with scripture. Um, my, my advice is just like, keep at it. And it's okay if you start small, right? It's okay if you're just like reading a little bit of the Bible a week. And then hopefully you can get to reading it almost every day and then every day. Um, that's how we develop habits. That's how we develop tastes for things. And the, the amazing thing about that is, over time, you really do develop um, a taste for it. It can start as an obligation. It can start as I'm just I'm just literally shoving the broccoli in my mouth against my will. I hate it, but I'm just doing it. And over time, the more you do it, the more you're like, actually, like I'm learning to like this. And eventually, you don't have to like force feed it. Um, I've seen that in my own life play out. I've seen f- things like Bible reading, like going to church, like singing certain worship songs that I used to hate. Like there's a whole like genre of like contemporary worship music that I used to hate. I was kind of a snob. I was like, I will only sing hymns. I don't like the like contemporary. And that was just my 20 something you know, arrogance, but I came to a point where I was like, you know, I'm just gonna try this. And I'm just gonna open my mouth and sing these words, even though I'm not loving it. And eventually, I started to enjoy it. And now I love it. And I love all sorts of worship music. And that's just how habit works. Um, so just that would be my advice to just think through the concept of how habit forms us and forms our desire uh, over time.
0: Again, I love what you're saying. And, you know, you're you're affirming so much of what we've heard and learned here that, you know, our habits do form us. And, yeah. and likewise, our habits deform us. So if we're yes. seeking, I mean, this is the whole thing behind your pyramid. If we're seeking yeah. to engage in habits that are foolish habits, we're just going to propagate foolishness and go deeper and deeper mm-hmm. into those habits. But that's a beautiful thing. What, one last comment I want to make before we take uh, our last break here is when you talk about the church and modeling, you've you've built a really good case, and I talk to youth workers about this all the time, a really good case for churches to do everything they can uh, to integrate the students, the young people, the children into the life of the larger body of Christ, including mm-hmm. worship. You know, I, I, I know we segment kids out, and it's all done with good intentions, but... Mm-hmm. I think it's just so counterproductive in the long run. And, um, yep. you know, to do otherwise, you know, it, it really, really feeds what you're talking about here is wisdom. So, well, let's take a break. We'll come back and continue finish up our conversation with Brett McGragan. Hey, youth workers, I want to let you know about a podcast resource we've recently launched here at CPYU that's just for you. Our brand new The Word in Youth Ministry podcast is a podcast by youth workers and for youth workers that will help you build and improve your ability to teach the Bible and theology to your students. There is not a more important discipleship task in correctly teaching the truths of God's Word to the kids we've been called to lead. We want them to hear the biblical narrative over and above the constant 24-7 noise of the cultural narrative. So check out The Word in Youth Ministry podcast You can find it at cpyu.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, as we're talking to Brett about his book, The Wisdom Pyramid, and I'm thinking about wisdom and foolishness and the need to, as we said earlier, you know, Uh, womb to tomb catechesis we never stop learning and it's never too early it's never too early to start to talk about these things with our children in the home and and build uh, build build them up in wisdom you know God's wisdom and the same thing in the church you know in our in our Christian education as well and so um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that just just how to begin to to make that happen I I you know I was one of the thoughts I had Early on, I'm thinking about you know being a teenager and interacting with teenagers and young people now, and I thought, you know, just developmentally, my own story, where I was as a teenager, I I didn't need anybody or anything to feed my foolishness. Um, you know, I was already there pretty well just because I thought I knew everything and probably mm-hmm. knew just about nothing. And you know, one of the things I hear teenagers sometimes say today that they, they it's almost like bragging, like, man, I haven't. I haven't read a book in two years Um, and you do make a good case for reading we're readers here and I want to ask you 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 know is and you say read widely which we 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 would affirm that here as well Um, is there anything you're this is just an interesting question for me is there anything you've read lately that that you know as people get to know you that may say man that's kind of weird that Brett would be reading that Um, Mm -hmm. but in your wide reading give us some recommendations and man, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and even some, maybe there's something that you would say to a teenager. Okay. You're not reading, but you should
3: read this. Yeah. I mean, man, there's a lot of directions. I (laughs) I could take that. I'm sorry. That's a loaded question. Um, I'll, I'll start with a book that I read recently that was kind of outside of the, what you would expect. Perhaps I try to read fiction like, um, as often as I can, because I think a lot of us, evangelicals tend to be oriented towards nonfiction as as adults because there's just so much to learn and it's you know we want to like feed ourselves with practical things but I I increasingly I I find reading fiction to be super helpful just for my soul and I read a book this summer that was a non-christian author um, uh, called uh, the book is called Clara and the Sun and it's basically like a dystopian novel about a future where there's kind of um, human like robots that basically families will buy to be companions to their children and it's just so the story is told from the perspective of Clara this this robot girl and so it's, it's a really interesting novel just about like what it means to be human and this this kind of future that we're entering of artificial intelligence and you know, it's a very live question in our culture, just what does it mean to be human? And what distinguishes us from um, other beings, you know, like robots and artificial intelligence. So that's the sort of like book that I would recommend Christians read, like, it's not a Christian book, there's not necessarily a Christian worldview. But it's grappling with real questions that society is wrestling with. And, and it's important that Christians are kind of in in those conversations and it's also just a really well-written book
0: yeah so yeah
3: so that would be one
0: that's a that's a great recommendation and i'll just highlight you know it's almost like sometimes we need to apologize right when we tell christians to read (laughs) non-christian books but we don't need to and and you build a you build a great case for that Mm -hmm. in your chapter in your book here on uh on reading books so thanks for thanks for yeah
3: especially for young kids like the ones you mentioned who say i haven't read a book in two years like um one thing i would say is like just start with what you enjoy reading like it goes back to that habit question like the only way you're going to be habituated to read more is by starting with something that's palatable and that is easy to read like if, you, if you're not in the habit of reading, like don't start with Charles Taylor. Don't start yeah. with the Brothers Karamazov, necessarily, <laughs> although you should read that. Well, eventually. you'll never finish with it if you start yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Brett, yeah. My, my predisposition is to consume more and go faster. As I'm mm-hmm. trying to shepherd a church mm-hmm. and uh, help others in spiritual formation, in some ways I feel like it's my job to read everything and know everything. Yeah. Uh, What are, what are, and and yet I feel like it's the too much and the too fast that is deteriorating my capacity to absorb uh, the nutrients of wisdom. How can I fight against my tendency to fight for faster and more?
3: Yeah, that's a great question that I, I wrestle with myself because I, I'm a voracious reader and my, my Amazon list is like overwhelming to look at because it's so long and there's always good books out there. And, We do live in an age of kind of a a wealth, an unprecedented wealth, wealth of good content and good resources. But there is so much, there's such a thing as too much of a good thing. And um, I find myself sometimes like just going too fast through quality books, just to kind of check it off my list and to be able to move on to the next one. And I don't think that's healthy. Um, So yeah, I think wisdom is actually like, part of it is just releasing yourself from the burden of omnipotence and you know so much of wisdom honestly is just being okay with your limitations um i am not god i can't be omniscient i can't be omnipotent i can't be omnipresent that's just not possible but embracing those limits and realizing it's okay to miss out on a lot like fomo can be an enemy to wisdom i think when we feel like oh, I have to read that, I have to watch that, I have to read that article, like it, you'll end up just filling every square inch of your life with more content. Everything is just more content. And even if it's all good content, like that's still a bad thing. If if you, if you eat too much broccoli, like that can actually be bad for your health. Like, So even the healthiest food, um, if you have kind of A binge diet of like only eating it constantly eating it it's not going to be good for you like the richest food like um is actually bad in huge proportions so so you don't want to read like really meaty rich books so fast and so constantly that your body never has time to really digest it your soul never has time to kind of process it and turn it into something of value for your wisdom so yeah, I would just say like release yourself from the the burden of having to read everything. Be okay missing out on a lot of good things. Um it's okay that you don't read, you know, most of the award-winning novels that came out in 2021. Like it's okay that I'm I'm never going to get to the bottom of my wish list of books. That's okay. We're humans. We have limits and um and we need to embrace those.
2: Yeah, when I was in high school, I remember I would go to uh, senior high on Sunday nights, uh, Bible study on Wednesday mornings. There was a parachurch ministry involved with on Saturday night. There was so much opportunity for good places, but I don't feel like I ever digested everything Mm -hmm. because there was Mm -hmm. just too much good stuff. Mm So picking something and going deep and slow with it seems to be a good antidote.
0: Hey, Brett, just to jump off what you just said before we finish up with some practical things, you know, guidelines for parents and youth workers with the reading, we've talked about this a lot here, and you know so so you're an avid reader and you're you're promoting that you're you're pushing us rightly towards that, but you've also done a lot of work in the area of technology, and that's what really mm-hmm. occasioned this our mm-hmm. misuse of technology or overuse, let's say. Mm-hmm. do you have any preferences or thoughts on reading on screens
3: as opposed to reading Mm -hmm.
0: you know an actual paper book Mm -hmm. physical
3: yeah um i mean this is more of a personal preference thing i i I haven't really like worked out my philosophy on this in terms of what i recommend for others that's your homework
0: now that's your homework
3: yeah i think the verdict is still out in terms of like whether it's all the same like whether you read a book on kindle or audiobook or physical book is it are we getting the same kind of nutrition in either format um i'm not sure Uh, personally i always prefer a physical book and that's because uh, when i've tried to read books on my phone like on kindle I, i just get too distracted and i tend to kind of go back and forth between apps whereas with the physical book i have I have the ability to literally put my phone in another room far from me <laughs> so that I can like focus on, on reading. And I also just, I'm a note taker. So I like to like yeah. mark up um, the margins of books. And um, so that's me, that's my yeah. preference, but um, audio books I'm intrigued by. Um, I, I don't listen to them myself, but I've been told by some people that listening to books on audiobook for them, it actually like, um, processes better, you know, in their mind. So, and, and there's an audiobook version of the Wisdom Pyramid, so people can read it. They can listen to it if they prefer to. Um, so, I read the physical mm-hmm.
0: copy. Brandon read. You I read, read it on, on, it on a, my iPad. On an iPad, yeah. yeah. Which, okay. And, and how did the Lord bless you after that? <laughs> reading it on your iPad. <laughs> Where is your it. iPad right it now? It is at Terminal
2: B at Philadelphia Airport. So if you can, <laughs> you find nice. somebody so out there is up listening. Yeah. <laughs> send it to my yeah. address. Yeah, for parents who are looking to uh, help their kids mature to be good feeders, um, what are what are practical things that parents can do to help kids? Uh, and, and maybe I'll throw in youth workers as well uh, to mm-hmm. be directing kids to good mm-hmm. sources of wisdom.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I mean one like really practical thing that I I. I i say in the book and i I say it when i'm speaking last week i was actually speaking to a a junior high high school youth group at a church and this is one of the pieces of advice i gave to them Um, just be intentional rather than passive with how you use devices so so much of how we use our phones and our computers these days is just passive we open our phone whenever we have five minutes to spare, when we're just waiting for something, when we're walking down the street, when we're like at Starbucks waiting for our latte to be done, we just pull out our phone with no reason. There's nothing in particular we need to do. And we just start scrolling. And it's just kind of the habit that we've gotten into. And I think that's where we get into trouble. That's where we're very susceptible to the algorithm just kind of taking us off of the path and drawing us into whatever distraction it wants to draw us into so i i recommend like just resist that habit of pulling out your phone at every opportunity and just be more intentional like reserve your time online for a specific activity that you know you need to do whether a particular article you want to read a a series on Netflix you've been meaning to watch, a YouTube lecture that you want to watch and go online to do that thing and then go offline as soon as it's done, right? (laughs) Just use the internet and social media and your phone in a more kind of intentional way rather than just a time filler in in all the gaps in your life where you're just kind of passively wandering, you know, (laughs) around. Um, so that's one just really practical piece you of advice I would give.
2: You mentioned um, in the book, looking for durable or timeless resources as well. Re- reading old yeah. books, maybe that yes. article that's being shared uh, yeah. right now isn't as good as the one that's stood yeah. the test of time. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, Which speaks to that second source of our sickness, the too fast, the speed of things. Then it makes sense the opposite is going to give us wisdom. Like being a little bit more like slow in how we process information and And yeah, instead of like sharing our opinion on an article on Facebook, the minute we see it, maybe wait a little bit and see if tomorrow you still feel passionate about it and maybe then you can share. Um, And yeah, going slower is always better for our wisdom and and reading older books versus newer books, reading a cold take on the news versus a hot take is almost always better um, because more information is known about the issue than was known you know in the first 24 hours um, so yeah I think that's a good piece of advice as well slow down try to like be a little bit more measured in your pace and how you use the internet
0: this is good you know uh, we have to wrap this up but it, it, we have just scratched the surface uh, you know Brandon and I have read the book Chris you've read some of the articles we actually you know I discovered the book. Through, uh, I think you may have done an interview, or Dick Doster or somebody at By Faith Magazine, the uh, magazine mm-hmm. of the PCA, did mm-hmm. an article, and I thought, oh man, this is brilliant. I threw it out to Chris and just said, we we got to get bread on here. I'm going to get this book and read this. I, here's what I want to say about it to youth workers and parents, pastors as well. Uh, I think it's timely. Uh, I know it's timely. I, I think it's theologically rich. I know it's theologically rich, and I know it's intensely practical. And so I want to encourage you all to get a copy, uh, to read it, to think about how, you know, as Brandon was asking, how can we start to apply what we're learning here, not only into our own lives, but into the nurture that we, uh, the spiritual nurture that we're, we're providing for our kids and even into our churches and our youth groups as well. Youth workers, I really want to encourage you to teach this um, and, and teach it out of your own passion and your own learning as you as you read this yourself. Um, it's, it's good. It's good. So, uh, Chris, do you want to say something real quick about everything that was mentioned today and how folks can access this?
3: Sure. Links to uh,
2: Brett's books and any articles, things like that that were mentioned today will be in our show notes. So take a
3: look uh, at cpyu.org. Look for episode 139, uh, and you'll find all those links included in the show notes. And, of course, we always say like, share, subscribe this podcast.
0: Um, Leave us a good review. That's always helpful for us as well. Yeah, and Brett, the great irony here is I'm going to ask you to share your website and how folks can track with you on social media.
3: I know I'm, I'm always like, so hesitant to do that when people ask me, I know know?" I
0: get it too. It goes
3: against the, my recommendations. Yeah. I mean, I, I I do have a website. I don't really update it often, but it has all my books, um, that you can learn about brettmccracken.com. And then, um, if you want, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. But if you don't, I completely understand.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. we're, we're, uh, we, we started our Instagram presence here about, what was it, three years ago, Chris? And uh, it's so counterintuitive to us, the mm-hmm. way we think. And so we <clears> had some of our board members who were on there trying to tutor us through it. And actually, when we get off this recording today, uh, we have another meeting to
3: reignite it and good
0: oh, nice. um, well because we know that's where people are and, it's and where people are yeah, yeah. And, and it's
3: not a bad thing to, no it's not to be where the people are and try to bring health and truth into a space where that's not often found. exactly so. And, I,
0: and so when we get off that call today brett we may be calling you to help explain to us some of how this works <laughs> chris and i are, are brains yeah, Brandon, yeah i appreciated
2: that you in your book you didn't totally condemn the internet and social media these are places where the the church ought to have a presence and to be able to think how can we use this for redemptive purposes is great
0: redemptively yeah absolutely so uh brett thank you uh we appreciate you so much and uh, i look forward to in the future having another conversation with you maybe meeting you face to face i know you love everything about kansas city that's in your bio does Mm -hmm. that include the chiefs it includes the Chiefs yeah so. God bless you I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan and we're right with oh, okay. you and you're dealing with Andy Reid right now and all that yeah it's but,
3: a bad year so far for yeah. us but,
0: but, no. but when I get to meet you face to face if if we get to meet there um, I'll, I'll look for you to get me some good Kansas City barbecue because I'm sure you're yeah, well absolutely. versed in that I have recommendations yep yep and come this way and we'll get you to Philly for a cheesesteak we started talking about food we're going to end as we talk about food Perfect. so thank <laughs> you and thank you everyone for listening in Uh, Again, like, subscribe, share. Uh, Wherever you get your podcasts, you you can access this, and we will talk to you next time on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters.
1: Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent-Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.